This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast and to another beautiful birth story. We have a really great episode for you today. I'm very excited for you to hear it. Before that, reminders, you're doing it at home shirts. Go get them. I got mine in the mail today and I'm so excited. It's awesome. It's soft. It's comfortable. It says have babies where you make them in a really cool graphic designed by one of our friends, Rachel Cunningham, who we actually had on the show, aka the dope doula. Uh, It's just so cool. And all of you are sending photos as you're getting your um, shirts, your hoodies, your tanks, whatever you got. It's so exciting. It just lights us up to see you all out there repping the Doing It at Home podcast and your empowering home birth conversation starter pieces of clothing. It's so cool. Um, so if you want to order yours, go to bonfire.com slash store slash D I A H podcast, or you can go to our Instagram page. It is the profile link currently in our Instagram. And there's a link in today's episode show notes. So lots of ways in which you can get to the site, check out the shop, see what you like, different colors, different styles. Like I said, tees, tanks, uh, long sleeve, sweatshirt, hoodies, all there for you and get them right now so you can have them in time for the holidays for gifts for your midwife, doula, um, fellow birth junkie, mama, friend, extraordinaire. Uh, And so, yeah, it's just really awesome. Like I said, they're super dope shirts and you rep the show and support the show. So we certainly appreciate that, you know, to keep the show running and to, you know, all of that, all those things that, you know, how, how it goes. And another thing, If you dig the conversation on the Doing It at Home podcast, if you appreciate the empowering energy and what we provide as far as, you know, birth, pregnancy, even postpartum conversations, I have a feeling that you would dig my podcast, the Balance and Motherhood podcast. And that's me, just me on the mic riffing about all sorts of things, balance and motherhood related from all of it, guys. I go, <laughs> there's really nothing I won't go into. So just to give you an idea, some of the recent episodes I did dealing with hot boiling mom rage, ways to celebrate yourself, sexual healing with Matthew actually brought him in on an episode or it was one that we did on his podcast, but then I shared it on my show. 
all sorts of amazing things there for you to tap into and to continue that conversation, you know, as a mama, um, how you are connecting with yourself, how you're connecting with your identity, how you're working on the relationship to stress and anxiety around you, you know, really easy to get caught up in that. So go check out Balance and Motherhood podcast. You can find it in Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, Google Play, pretty much any podcast player, or you can go to my website, sarahbivens.com and subscribe, check it out, see what you think, hit me up, would love to connect. Okay, today's birth story. So you probably hear us say wow a lot when we are interviewing uh, mamas about their birth stories just because we're totally taken aback sometimes or we're just in total awe or inspiration for these women and these powerful stories, right? Well, this one should have a wow counter on it. If anyone out there actually counts the wows, send that number to us because I would love to know what the actual count is, but it's a lot. Let me just say that. We're talking with Sophia Williams, and Sophia is a midwife, a doula, and a published photographer. So we talked to Sophia about her entrance into birth work, into the birth world, and then how becoming a doula and eventually studying to become a midwife influenced her, her own birthing choices. And there are some twists throughout Sophia's journey from a home birth with her son, Benjamin, to her post-birth hospital transfer for a placenta removal, and then actually back to the hospital later for baby Benjamin, which would take them on a road over several months, up to a year, in fact, of Vactral Association and working on healing Benjamin and getting him the care and multiple surgeries throughout that year. So we go into that. We've never talked about Vactral Association on the show before. So for those who never heard of it, you're going to learn a little bit about it. Or for those who are familiar or who have been impacted by it, this will resonate. And then throughout that process, when Benjamin was eight months old, Sophia became pregnant again with their second child, their daughter, Gracie, who was eventually born premature via cesarean. So Sophia has this really well-rounded, inspiring, awesome perspective as a midwife herself, first of all, but then also having experienced home birth and hospital birth. So I won't say anything else. I'll let you listen to the rest. It's incredibly inspiring. And Sophia is such a light and strong, powerful mama that we're so grateful to have a part of the community and for her to share her story. So here it is. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, Sophia. Good morning. <laughs> What's up, Sophia? Sarah and I are so happy that you would join us on the Doing It at Home podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. 
Awesome. Um, Sophia, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Sure. Um, I am a midwife located in California. Um, I live in Sonoma County with my husband, Spencer, and our two kids, Benji, which he told me he prefers Benji now over oh. Benji, and Gracie. They, when they start to get their preferences, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, Ben is um, three and a half, and Gracie's almost two in a couple weeks. Mm, awesome. So cool. Happy early birthday, Gracie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So um, midwifery, um, tell us a little bit about what got you into that work and then kind of the path that you took as far as how you became a midwife. Sure. I was a nanny and I nannied for a family that had a home birth. And I was, yeah, I was in the middle of going to, I thought I wanted to be a nurse and um, help people that way. And I thought, ooh, labor and delivery, like you get to see everyone on the, the happiest day of their lives versus the worst day if you're in any other area of the hospital. Um, so, but then when I heard about that, I was like, wait, you can do that? That's legal? That's amazing. I want to be a midwife. Um, and then somebody suggested I become a doula. And so I did some training when I realized it was much cheaper to become a doula. Um, and I sat in a circle of 15 other women at my training and they went around the circle. Why do you want to be a doula? And, and this was like nine, 10 years ago. I hadn't had children yet. And literally everyone said I had a really traumatic experience and I want to make sure that nobody else goes through what I went through and feels educated. And they got to me and I was like, I like babies. <laughs> I thought this would be fun. <laughs> but I left that training shocked because I was doing this because it was going to be the happiest day of everyone's life. And not one woman in that room had that experience. And so I knew like, well, even if I don't do this as a career, I want to have kids. I, I want to have the happiest day of my life. I don't, I don't want to have this horrible experience. So I dedicated myself to research right then. And I wanted to know what all my options were. And eventually I did decide that I did love this work. And I went to midwifery school and I studied and I had babies and I'm a midwife now, licensed in California, and um, and that's kind of my goal is that, you know, no matter how or where you have your baby, that you feel like you are the one making the final decision and that you get to call the shots because it's your birth and your baby and that that's what leads to feeling empowered and having a powerful experience, not necessarily how your baby was born or where they were born because there are some things that are totally out of your control. Um, so, so that's kind of what my focus is as a birth keeper is just making sure everyone doesn't come back and says, I didn't even know that was an option. I would have done things differently if I had known, you know, that they feel they have all the options available to them. That's awesome. That's so cool. I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, you do this amazing work. How do you feel that you and, and we and other people in the, in the birth world can get the message out about options and can help educate folks. Because, you know, you said when you were sitting in that circle of women, when you're going through your training, um, that it, the, the idea of home birth was not really on your radar until it was literally in front of your face with the family you nannied for. So how can people learn about it? How can people learn about their options is basically what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of have this dream of, you know, when, when 
girls start their cycle for the first time. Their parents take them to a midwife for their well women care. And they get the experience that way. Because if their very first experience of getting their pap thing, getting their annual checkup is going to an OB, then that's where they're going to go when they're pregnant, you know. But if they know there is this other side of care, you know, if everything is healthy and, you know, obviously if there's any sort of, you know, abnormal results for anything, then you go see a specialist. But, you know, why not go to a midwife's office and have an hour to talk and have this gentle, loving, you know, path experience and um, talk about your history um, as a teenage girl, you know, growing up and having that experience. I think that's where it's going to start for people. Um, that's kind of my hope and vision for the future. Wow. I yeah, lo- I'm cool. taking notes. I'm thinking about 10, 13 years from now when we're having conversations with Maya as her body changes. I'm like, that's brilliant. Isn't it? I mean, Ugh. you know, if you if you send them right to an OB at the very beginning, then where do you think they're going to go <laughs> when they're when they have anything else going on? Totally. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Because mm-hmm. wow. yeah, lots. I mean, not every midwife offers well women care, but mm-hmm. most do. Right. Um, and they all definitely have the ability to, even if they, you know, don't advertise it. Um, so yeah, I, we've talked actually with um, a group of midwives in the area. The idea of offering like clinics once a month, you know, free clinics for paps and things like that, and encouraging, um, you know, having like educational videos playing in the waiting room and things like that. It, nothing actually happen necessarily because we're all very busy Mm. but um we all love the idea of it yeah oh that's that's so cool and I'm just thinking back you know to when my cycle started and you're figuring out what is going on inside your body um not that all (laughs) OB offices are like this but I'm sure there are a fair few where you go and now it's this kind of sterilized, medicalized process. And I think that's where you start to learn what's happening to your body is like a medical event to be managed and by someone Mm -hmm. else. So I just think about where I might not have even realized. And now if I were to take a look back, I'm sure there were seeds being planted or, or groundwork being laid down to just think about any part of what my body was doing um, in its womanly way as like needing someone else to tell me what to do about it or that it needed to be managed in some way. Right. Exactly. Like, like, you know, as you guys experience, um, even with prenatals, they're usually extensively longer than they would be at the OB office just because they don't have the time, you know, they don't have the time for the education um, aspect. Whereas if you were to go to a midwife for, you know, when you first start your cycle, how long does a path take? Not very long, you know, if you wanted to do that. But the rest of the appointment is about like, so what are you noticing with your body? Like, do you know what that means? You know, the education side of it um, so that she knows that she can, you know, it means that you're fertile. And what does that mean? And you can actually track your cycles. You can like start to predict when your cycle is going to start. And, you know, that giving them the power, you know, um, handing it back to them. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah, as a as a dad to a baby girl, um, I'm very uh, grateful to you for for exposing that option because I definitely did not did not even think about that. Didn't even know. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Thank you. Yeah. 
So, Sophia, tell us a little bit about your birth planning uh, when you realized you were first pregnant and then just kind of walk us through, you know, the prenatal experience of um, either both, you could jump in and out if you want, or just like first time and then what you took from that and applied to second, however you want to flow. <laughs> yeah, we'll do chronological. It's easier awesome. for my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so I am blessed that I was a student midwife by the time I got pregnant with my first. Um, so I never had to do the battle of, oh, I don't want to tell my family or what will they say. I think honestly, people would have been shocked if I chose mm. to birth anywhere other than my home. Um, it was expected. Um, so I got nothing but support my whole pregnancy. Um, maybe a couple strangers, like, you know, opinions, but, um, but that didn't bother me at all. Um, so yeah, I just, um, you know, planned to have our baby at home. And, um, I actually found out when I was in Hawaii, we conceived in, in a hospital or, um, sorry, not a hospital, a hotel room, San Francisco. And then I flew to Hawaii to support my cousin who was having her baby. Oh, wow. Um, and so she had her baby at home with me. And then a couple of days later, I actually went to her chiropractor for an appointment because my back was tweaked and she told me are you trying to get pregnant? Because I think you are. And at that point, I probably would have been maybe between two and three weeks. Um, like no tests were mm-hmm. saying I was. And of course, I started bawling on the table because um, we weren't, this was our first time trying. So it wasn't like, I can't even imagine people who have fertility struggles. Um, but um, so found out I was pregnant. So Spencer flew over right away um, to celebrate. And, um, and I started spotting around five weeks, which I knew could be normal. Um, and I actually ended up going to the ER at 11 weeks when I like filled a toilet bowl full of blood. Um, and everything showed up fine. The placenta looked fine. The baby looked fine. And I continued to bleed for till 28 weeks um, wow. with nobody knowing what was going on, just that everything seemed to be moving along. Um, so um, I I got very clear what I wanted from my birth, from all my experiences. I think I had been to like at least 120 births at that point. Um, And I was like, you know, I want to wake up after a perfect night's sleep. I want to be well rested when my labor starts. I want it to be obvious that my labor is starting. I want it to be very clear to me. Um, And I don't want it to be too fast. That looks really overwhelming. I don't want it to be so long. I'm exhausted. Like six hours would be awesome. Um, And I just want it to go smooth. And I want to keep my placenta because I was processing placentas at that time and wanted to experience that. So I woke up with my water breaking all over the bed at 9 a.m. after a good night's sleep. And six hours later, he was born (laughs) in the tub in her bedroom. Oh, sorry. Six hours and 11 minutes. So he was a little late, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but pretty exactly what I wanted. And I just did every appointment with my midwife. I just kept saying, okay, so here's what's going to happen. Not even what I hoped to happen. I was just telling them exactly how it was going to go <laughs> uh, because I just figured if I just keep holding on to the vision, it'll happen. If I just keep picturing it and telling everyone like it's already been done, <laughs> it'll happen. Um, and it did. And it was the most amazing experience of my whole life still. date. It was incredible. You know, I reached down and I caught him and we just laid in the tub with our baby and it was incredible. And both my parents were there and my dad was filming and my mom was 
holding my hands. And one of my best friends was there who was also a student midwife at the time and another one of my friends. And of course I had a photographer. Mm -hmm. I'm a photographer. Um, and I knew I, I had actually my husband called a photographer before the midwife because I knew I wanted (laughs) definitely her there no matter what. I didn't care if anyone else made it, but I wanted that on video. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we have amazing photos, um, from the experience and, um, and then my placenta didn't come out. Um, I think we tried for about four hours and I wasn't bleeding heavily. There was no emergency. You know, my midwife at the time was just like, you can't keep it. <laughs> like, right, right. There's no emergency, but like, we got to make a plan. And we tried a bunch of things at home. We tried to manually remove it twice, which was <sighs> way more painful than labor. Um, and we opted to transfer. Mm -hmm. And I tried to get up and go to the car, but every time I did, my bleeding just really picked up. Mm -hmm. So we ended up calling an ambulance and I took the ambulance and I was still like, I feel fine. I don't feel like, you know, I'm not worried or anything. We just kind of wanted to be done with it. So we went and um, they kind of said, okay, just check the baby real quick. The most important things. And then let's get to the hospital. Got to the hospital the placenta was able to be removed without being in the OR or anything. They gave me like fentanyl to help relax me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it came out and then I just cuddled my baby for a little bit while the medication wore off and, um, and we went home. And then when we got home and we unwrapped him getting ready to do a really thorough newborn exam, uh, I noticed that his breathing was off. Um, And I thought maybe he just, you know, maybe I'm just a nervous first time parent. Maybe he needs to see a little action. You know, he's got some fluid in his lungs. Um, we ended up transporting him to a hospital um, and they gave him some oxygen and he came around. And then when they started doing their thorough newborn exam, they went to check his temperature rectally and he had no anal opening. And wow. as a student midwife, we checked for this all the time. Is the anus patent? But I never stopped to think about what it would mean if it wasn't. <laughs> and now it, it was my baby. And so I was like, okay, so now we're transporting to the city um, mm-hmm. to get an evaluation. And I still thought, I'm very optimistic. I was like, okay, so they're going to cut a hole and he'll heal and then we'll go home. And then meconium started coming out of his penis. And I couldn't even wrap my mind around how that was possible. I just knew it wasn't normal. Um, So we got to UCSF, um, Mission Bay Campus. And then they started asking us about heart conditions. Do heart conditions run in your family? And we were like, wait, 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 we're we're the butthole parents. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, wrong one. We're not the heart parents. (laughs) Yeah. But they knew that that can be connected to heart conditions, which he did have along with a lot of other things. So it turned out he has a condition called Vactral Association, and it's an acronym that stands for all the areas of the body that can have birth defects. And if you, if your child has three of them, you are considered to have Vactral, at least three. And then how you showcase it, because you could have a hundred children of Vactral and it could all show up differently for Mm. them. You capitalize the V, lowercase the A, capitalize the C. So whatever's capitalized, the child has a defect in that area. So Benjamin has 
all of them except for the last one. Um, so V is any vertebrae issues. His spinal cord, which runs, you know, floats freely for us, was tethered to a spinal column. Um, a is anal. So he had no anal opening and his rectum was connected to his urethra. C is cardiac. He has tetralogy of fallot um, with a vascular ring, which means his aorta wrapped around his esophagus and trachea. Um, and tetralogy of fallot, that's the one that Sean White has and Jimmy Kimmel's son has. Um, I think those are the two most famous cases. Um, and then... That T is tracheal, any tra- tracheal stuff, which he has two left lungs. So his right lung should have three lobes wow. um, and it only has two. And then everything's very narrow. Um, and then E is esophageal. He um, kind of really doesn't have that. They thought he had some like floppiness. He had some failure to thrive and struggles with eating early on. Um, but I think that was all pretty much ruled out. Um, there's no like structural abnormalities. R is renal. He had kidney reflux, renal reflux until his cord, his spinal cord was released and that got resolved. And the last one is L, it's limb deformities and he has none of those. And if you looked at a picture of him, if you saw him in person, you wouldn't know that he had had six surgeries the first year of his life. <laughs> um, you, you couldn't even tell. He's just a normal three-year-old little boy that gets wheezy when he's sick sometimes. <laughs> And that was our first year with Ben. Holy wow. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't even know how many minutes ago, but not long, you know, we're saying the most amazing experience of my life and still, you know, sure yeah. still is. And then coming right at the tail of that is having to process all of these new unexpected things. Um, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you... I mean, what are you even doing then? Like you're buckling down for, okay, how long? What's the extent? Like all of this. And then for to go out over the next year, six surgeries on a newborn, that's incredibly, I don't even insert whatever word you want there. And I'm sure you had a lot to fill in there, but just, I don't know. That That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would think the hardest part was like in my Vactral group on Facebook, which you know, thank God for Facebook for times like these where you can reach out to everyone in the world who can relate. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they were saying that Vactral, like in, you know, a joking, funny way, Vactral is the gift that keeps on giving because you don't find out about it all right away. Okay. It just slowly re- reveals itself. So we spent, I think, nine or 10 months discovering new things. Mm. That was the hardest part because it got to the point where I was like, okay, I just want to know what it all is so we can process it and get through it. I don't want to keep finding more things. That was the hard part. Yeah, so my mom would look and go, yeah, yeah. My mom would say, I remember when he was a brand new baby and we were at UCSF and she'd say, does his chest look funny? Does this side look bigger than the other? And I was like, mom, stop looking for more stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, nine months later, it turned out she was right. He did have a lung condition. Um, but yeah, I'd say that was the hardest part. And, you know, I'm in therapy processing at all. I have been for a while and that's, Great. And, you know, I kept telling everyone that I'm honestly the perfect person for this to happen to. Not that it happened to me, but that I can be the advocate for Ben because I'm, you know, as a doula, I'm a professional advocate and I cut out for me with him. And, you know, doctors are amazing. Nurses are amazing. And, um, you know, I had to stay on top of it all. There were 
slip-ups and, you know, things that I caught and times where I was like, you know, I don't think that's the right choice for him and I want to go a different route and, um, you know, picking the right care team for him. I ended up getting donor milk for him for two years um, and, you know, anywhere from sneaking it into the hospital to finally we told them that we are bringing donor milk in and that they were just going to have to be okay with that and, um you know, we had lots of family meetings, lots of family meetings, because we did, we wanted to do things very different than they were used to. Um, but they're a teaching hospital, and they were amazing. Um, and they really listened to us and heard us. And they wanted to give, you know, to, to supplement my the breast milk with some formula, because his heart was working so fast, he wasn't gaining weight, and they needed some extra calories. Um, and I wasn't comfortable with the formulas they had. And I said, you know, it has this ingredient in it and that causes intestinal inflammation. Like, is that something we really want to give him? And the doctor looked at me and said, I don't think that's something we want to give any baby. And they actually now carry the formula that I suggested that they carry um, at that hospital. (laughs) So they really are great and they really do listen. They're amazing. Um, And we actually ended up naming Ben after his first surgeon (laughs) that did his um, surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, um, you know, I had the most amazing support, you know, meal trains, anything I wanted, like I said, two years of breast milk for Ben donated. And just anytime we had any struggles, I mean, my parents work said, go come back when you're ready. And they both basically lived with us at the hospital for two months or for a month, sorry, each of them for a month. Um, so we just had all the support we could have ever asked for. Um, we met some families at the hospital where I'm like, she's a single mom and she's got three kids. I don't know how she's, she's going to do it because she, that's the only option she has, but I don't know how she's going to be through it all. Yeah. Um, you know, we were just so blessed. What's up, sandwich heads? Today on Steve-O Sandwich Reviews, we've got the tips and tricks to the best sandwich order. And it all starts with this little guy right here. Pepsi Zero Sugar. Partial to pastrami, craving a Cubano. Yeah, sounds delicious, but boom! Add the crisp, refreshing taste of Pepsi Zero Sugar and cue the fireworks. Lunch, dinner, or late night, it'll be a sandwich worth celebrating. Trust me, your boy's eaten a lot of sandwiches in his day, and the one thing I can say with absolute fact, every bite is better with Pepsi. And, and talking yeah. about you and Spencer through this, you know, it sounds like you both had a lot of support. Um, how are you supporting and, and being there for one another? Yeah, um, we couldn't really be at first because we were so focused on Ben, but that's where my parents' role came in. My mom just, I mean, I was newly postpartum, you know, having to recover, and she just took care of me every step of the way. My dad focused on Spencer, and they just, you know, took care of the parents, basically, so we could focus on Ben, Um, and that was the best thing ever um, because we didn't even really have time for each other. and luckily, we work really well together, um, Spencer and I. I'm very, um, I can hold it all together. I can hold it together six months if I need to and do what needs to get done. And then I'll like process and <laughs> grieve later. Um, and he's kind of the opposite. He like really, you know, processes at first, but he can hold it together um, long term when I need to crumble. Um, so we just would tag team. And I think at one point, we were there for a month at first. Um, the nurse looked to us and said, okay, so the next time you put Ben down, you know, let me know and I'll do all his vitals. And we kind of like cocked our head like, 
put them down. What what is that? Put them down. What does that mean? We don't we don't put them down. <laughs> like my parents are here. Like we just hand them off to somebody else. Like he doesn't get put down. <laughs> um, so he never, you know, he always had us with him unless he was in surgery um, at every step of the way, even when they were like, you don't want to be holding him during this blood draw. Like, trust me, don't want him to associate you with it. And I was like, I'm oh. holding him. Like, mm. <laughs> I'm, we're, we're going to be right here the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Ben was eight months old, not done with his surgeries yet. When we found out I was pregnant. <laughs> wow. And I think that was the hardest part. We weren't, we weren't really ready. We hadn't even decided if because of all this, like we want to have more children. Um, but we just figured, you know, this baby was telling us it was okay. And, you know, like if we had given, if they had given us enough time to think about it, we might've made the wrong choice. (laughs) So, um, we just joked like, well, it's already hard. Why would we wait till we were sleeping through the night to start again? Like, let's just keep going. (laughs) Like that would be silly. Let's just get it all out of the way. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I was pregnant going through the last couple surgeries and, um, it really just passed by quickly because I was just so focused on him still. And, um, but honestly hadn't, hadn't really taken time to take care of myself. I mean, I had heavy bleeding the whole six weeks postpartum all the way up to starting my period at six weeks. So, I I just felt really drained the whole pregnancy, the whole second pregnancy. I remember at 10 weeks, I was like, I'm done. I don't want to be pregnant anymore. I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and then come to find out, you know, we tested my iron levels and my iron was really low. Like my midwife said, you might need a blood transfusion if you were to give birth right now. Like you, we need to get this iron level up, um, which is probably why I was so tired. Mm-hmm. So we worked on it and we worked on it. Um, and then at around 30 weeks, I started having these really bad back pains. And I actually didn't catch that it was preterm labor. My midwife asked me to time them. And I was like, what? Time back pain? Like, oh, okay. And they were every four minutes. So I had half a glass of wine and they took an Epsom salt bath uh, per midwife's orders and they stopped. Um, and they ended up coming and going, coming and going. Um, and every time I would just take a bath and they would stop again. Um, and I was able to stay pregnant until 35 weeks and six days. So legally in California, you can have your baby at home at 37 weeks. So we were like a little over a week shy. Um, and I was in the tub, you know, with the Epsom salts. And then I was like, this is it. It's not stopping. This is you know, we're going to have a baby. And I honestly wasn't scared at all. I remember jumping out of the tub and that's when I hugged and we were smiling like, oh my gosh, we're going to have a baby today. Um, and we hopped in the car and oh my God, <laughs> we're five minutes in the hospital. It was the longest five minutes of my life. I was sure this baby was going to be born in the car. It was so uncomfortable. And I was like kneeling on the floor of the front seat, like leaning over the seat because uh, there was no way I was sitting. Oh my gosh. Mm. Um, and we got to the hospital and... I had actually established care at the local birth center when we knew I was having preterm labor at 30 weeks because they are certified nurse midwives and they can go to the hospital with their clients and continue care at the hospital. They have privileges at the hospital 
And my midwife was a licensed midwife who doesn't have privileges at the hospital. So I knew that I wanted to develop a relationship with someone who could continue care with me at the hospital and be on my team and be able to, you know, be a peer with the doctors who are at the hospital um, and have that like reputation and experience there. So I'm grateful for that because I had two midwives with me when I was at the hospital. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. And one of them was a peer of the hospital. So she, you know, when she said something, it just came over a lot better than when we said something. Um, so they checked me and I was six centimeters and they didn't feel the baby's head though. So they brought in an ultrasound machine and she had both her feet down. We didn't know she was a girl at the time, but both her feet were down. So she was a double footling breach and they were like, cesarean. And we said, no, thank you. <laughs> Um, and so I signed against medical advice and the doctors were just like plastered to the wall, terrified, like, you know, we don't feel comfortable doing this. And I was like, I know you don't, we do, no. you know, my midwife has experience with breach and I don't feel scared right now. And, and they wanted to inform me of my risks <laughs> and the, the midwife from the birth center said, I'm pretty sure she wrote a paper on the risks. I don't think she needs to hear it. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, we'll let you, we'll let you know if plans change. Um, so I spent a lot of time with, you know, my butt in the air, trying to get her to turn. Um, and I did. She actually turned a lot in labor. And she went transverse, and she went head down, and then she went back to breach, and she was just flipping all over. And finally, we got her head down. And they checked me, and I was eight centimeters. And they did an ultrasound to confirm, and she was head down. But my bag was bulging, and all of her cord was bulging before her head so if the bag broke the cord was going to come out Mm -hmm. and so I sat with that for a little while and I didn't have an IV I didn't have a heplock I knew if that bag broke that they were going to need to knock me out to get her out and so at that point I opted for a cesarean because I I wanted to be awake I wanted to be present when when my baby was born and so we went in and um, it took a long time. I've been in cesareans before and I even paused and was like, is everything okay? Or, you know, how's, how's it going down there? And she said, you know, we're having a really hard time reaching the baby. She's up really high now. So they ended up having to give me a J incision. Um, so on the outside, they just, you know, did an incision above my pubic bone, but on my uterus, they had to cut up my left side in like a J fashion to reach her. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I think her APGAR was like two when she was born. Um, And they, you know, announced, you know, they told us that she was a girl and took her for, you know, to put her on some oxygen. And at 36 hours old, I was able to hold her for the first time with a lot of um, insistence from me. Um, and shortly after that, she crashed. I'm still not exactly sure what that means, um, to them, but that's what they told me. And she was sedated and put on a breathing machine. And we were told that she was too sick to be at that hospital, but too sick to transport and that she probably wasn't going to live. And that if she did live, she'd probably be on oxygen the rest of her life. And I, I just didn't believe it. I mean, I believed it, but I think I was just in shock because we were told a similar thing 
when Ben, after he came out of his first surgery at 36 hours old, they thought he had a blood clot and he, you know, crashed and they had to sedate him and put him on the same breathing machine that breathes for him. And they didn't know if he was going to make it. And at the time during Ben's, um, I had my chiropractor there. She was adjusting me. Um, and she offered to adjust him and we said, sure. And it looked like she was just kind of touching his neck a little bit. She didn't lift him or anything, no cracking, you know, nothing like that. And, um, within a couple hours, he was off all his breathing machines and, you know, and we snuck her in. Of course we didn't, we just said, you know, can everyone step out so our friend can pray with us for our baby? Yeah. And, um, you know, cause she doesn't have privileges at the hospital. Right. And, um, and so I actually, that didn't even cross my mind when this was happening with our daughter. Um, but I posted a picture of her x-ray of her lungs collapse on, um, Facebook and, you know, whatever I know what was happening to please like send love our way. And she texted me, the chiropractor and said, please let me adjust her. I can literally see what's wrong. Um, and we were nervous because every time anyone touched her, she would crash again. Mm-hmm. Um, and we finally said, what do we have to lose at this point? And she came and adjusted her. And a couple hours later, she was off everything and she's never had an issue since. Oh, I got goosebumps, oh major head to toe goosebumps just now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She said it was her, I hope I don't butcher this word, the base of the neck, the axis is where every single nerve to every part of your body runs through and it was kinked. It was like off center and she adjusted that. Um, and you know, even if it just, it's just opened my eyes to chiropractic care. I went before, you know, like I was just thought it was like a back thing. If your back hurts, go to a chiropractor. Um, but I mean, I've seen it help kids with bedwetting and speech problems and, you know, just like it affects all the nerves. It helps all the nerves that work, you know, make your whole body function. So I, I always joke, like if I ever had another kid, I would, I would <laughs> hire my chiropractor to attend my birth before right. I had anyone else to attend. Like, um, yeah, she just, I literally saved our kids' lives. I'm sure when it happened with Ben, I, I'm such a skeptic. I was like, he was probably just about to get better, mm. but you know, but then after it happened with Gracie, I was like, hero. Yeah. Yeah. So again, be careful what you say out loud. I mean, her whole pregnancy, I kept saying, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to be pregnant. And not that it's my fault, but you know, I'm sure it had to do with my iron levels. Mm-hmm. You know, she was just like better out than in, like there's nothing left for me in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, I, I really feel like <laughs> your intention can play a role too. And mm-hmm. I did. I felt done. I didn't want to be pregnant, even though I was like, stop saying that. I was like, right. but it's true. I'm so tired. <laughs> um, yeah. So we had some whirlwind experiences and, and, you know, in a nutshell, we've got like two super pretty healthy kids right now. Um, ben still gets sick, you know, with like he got pneumonia last March and had to be hospitalized. And, um, but, you know, for everything he's been through and everything he has, he will probably lead a pretty normal, happy life. You know, he's at preschool right now with all his friends and running and playing. Um, and Gracie never had to be on oxygen again. Um, yeah. So I say wow a lot 
in these interviews, like a lot. And if I think it'd be funny <laughs> to go back and do a wow count or something and what the top <laughs> wow episodes are, this is easily going to be top three easily yeah. for all the wows. Either I've said out loud or just mouthed or just thought, um, this is, <laughs> this is a top wower for me for sure. Um, I appreciate you so much just in terms of the, the detail in which you shared everything, the, the truth and just the, the reality that you brought to what I'm sure just trying circumstances that test, you know, all parts of your being, you know, your mind, body, and soul. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you feel like you can connect some of this, these dots and, and expand upon this a little bit, how approaching your pregnancies and births, you know, with home birth, uh, planning with home birth team and support and mindset, how you feel like if it has impacted then how you've dealt with, you know, the multiple other hospital scenarios you found yourself in, um, you know, postpartum and through the first year of Benjamin's life and then through your birth with Gracie, you know, like you said, you know, you developed and established care with the birthing center so that you could have that midwifery approach and support, you know, do you feel like all of that has played a part or has helped you or supported you in all of what have been a lot of medicalized um, experiences? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, in my brain, I compartmentalize my birth experiences from my postpartum because like Ben, still to this day, was the most amazing experience of my life, just, you know, giving birth to my baby at home. And, and, um, and then all the other stuff was just another chapter that was a lot harder. Um, but yeah, the building of the birth team, I mean, I, I talk to anyone I know who's pregnant or my clients about it, you know, that's the thing you have control over is like surrounding yourself by people who believe in you and who have the resources that can tell you, like my midwife said, you know, even though she was my midwife, she was like, I think you should develop care at the birth center. You know, I think that that would be a smart move. Um, they can continue care if we needed it at the hospital and not that she was abandoning me, you know, I still saw her for all my appointments, but she was like, you know, it would be an awesome asset to have if we had to go there. Um, so just, yeah, ha having people around you who can give you your options. Because I was a student midwife, but I couldn't think of it all, you know. Even now as a midwife, if I had another baby, you know, it's really hard to midwife yourself. Um, and to, like, come up with all the ideas when you're, like, in the thick of it. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, and I just really drill home to my clients, you know. When I was a child, there was a book. I think it was a, called Choose Your Own Adventure. And you get to the end of the chapter and it was like, do you want to go in the cave or the forest? Like turn to page nine or eight, you know, and you could read the book a million different ways and, you know, pick which route you wanted to go. And I'm like, that's, that's what birth is. You know, you can continue along, continue along, and then you might be faced with choices and you got to pick one and you don't know how it's going to all end, but you just, you know, make an educated guess basically and what feels right. And then you just go along and, and you don't know if you're going to, your baby's going to be born at home or in the hospital or from your belly or from your vagina. Like that's not what makes an empowered experience. It's that knowing you had those choices and you got to make them, that things weren't just done to you or for you. Um, or that you weren't, you know, sometimes the hospital will say, okay, this is going on. Um, here's your two options. And then, you know, your midwife might look over and go, or you could also do this or this or this, <laughs> you know, like yeah. filling in the blanks. Um, so just making sure that you, um, 
your voice is heard. Um, because I, I, you know, feel like Gracie's birth was, um, a powerful experience too. like to be able to say no to the cesarean when I got there right. felt amazing because it wasn't right for me at the time and being able to say, okay, I don't feel comfortable with this anymore. I want a cesarean. Like I, I'm the one who got to pick. And if I had just gone along with the cesarean in the beginning, I would have always wondered like, God, did I even give her a chance? She was turning so much. What if she could have turned head down, you know, or, um, yeah, I would just would have second guessed myself the whole time. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I feel well-rounded as a midwife having my baby at home and having my baby, you know, by cesarean. Um, I feel like I can, you know, definitely empathize and um, relate to my clients better who have either experience um, and advocating for yourself at the hospital. You know, I have that experience. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the thing that I drill home is just when you leave your appointments, you should feel better, you know, about the team you've created around yourself. Um, and, you know, just ask lots of questions, know what all your options are. And if you're not happy with your options, say so. <laughs> you can do nothing. That is an option too. Mm. Um, yeah. Sophia. Did that answer your question? Yes. I think I'm trying yes. to remember. And, and more. <laughs> and more than I could ever have wanted. You are so <laughs> awesome. I, wow. Yep. Another wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, another wow for the list. <laughs> you know, Sophia, throughout all of your storytelling, uh, I, I have just been completely taken aback by your strength. And I know that there's a part of it that's like, I'm a mom. I'm going to do that for my kids. I'm going to show up no matter what. I mean, that's kind of what you said when you saw that single mom in the hospital with all the kids. Like, she's going to do it. Um, mm-hmm. the, the style in which you did it and the manner in which, in which you showed up um, is, is just absolutely incredible. Uh, with all those circumstances tossed your way, um, with everything, I just get a sense, without even having been there myself, because I'm just hearing, hearing your story, um, I just get a sense that you, know, you really were able to, to, to dig in and... Um, just, just, just be there and do what you needed to do. And I'm so inspired by how you advocated for yourself, how you, how you, um, you know, chose your options, like everything you were just, you were just saying, uh, that is so incredible. And I'm, I'm so happy for all the moms and dads and families out there who are listening right now, who are just being filled up with their own sense of strength after hearing your story and, and hearing all of this. And, um, I, it, it puts a huge smile on my face knowing that, Benji's running around at preschool and loving life and, and Gracie is just, you know, a beautiful baby girl because boy, they, they certainly, uh, had, had a number of things going on in those early years. So I'm just, and it's all, it's all incredible. So truly, truly thank you so much for sharing and the way that you shared and everything. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm going to throw this out there too. Possible career paths for Benji or Gracie chiropractors. Like go to business together, Benji and Gracie, chiropractics at your service. I think that'd be so cool. I know who they can study with. Uh, Sophia, thank you so much again for being on the show. I'm going to include links to your website and how people can get in touch with you and um, all that beautiful stuff. And for people who are living in your area, who are looking for your services as well um, so that they can connect with you. SophiaBirth.com. Yeah. That's where you can go, right? Thank you. Right. Beautiful. Thank you again, Sophia. We appreciate you. Yeah, you're welcome.
quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.